Attention students, the Jabroni University Network is now in session. Please make your way to class. This week, uh, it has a uh, has a hell of a resume. Would be one way to describe it. Uh, he has been a a staple and a fixture in post punk, emo, post hardcore, whatever you call it. He is uh, he's been a part of some of the most prominent and influential bands: Seisha, Airtype Eleven, Instruction, and the list goes on. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Adam Marino to Why Did We Ever Meet? How are you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Uh, I just, I just had a former bandmate of yours. We, I just recorded with him uh, earlier this week, and Joseph Grillo. I mentioned. Uh, I said, "Is there anything that only only you would know, or one of you guys would know that uh, would make Adam laugh?" And he's like, "Oh, nothing that nothing that we'd want to say on a podcast." He goes, "Just make sure you mention his Jinko jeans." <laughs> Yeah, the unfortunate. Uh, the, the time of nineteen ninety-seven was yes. not uh, was not a good fashion moment for most people. No, especially and, me. And I told him, I said, I'm pretty sure that's been documented in photographs for not just him, but everybody. <laughs> yeah, and and a couple of sweater vests in there as well. So. Oh yeah, remember that, that was a weird phase, wasn't it? It was. The, it was like a year or two. I feel like it was like ninety six, ninety seven, somewhere around there. And yeah. I don't know what was going on. I, I remember because I fell victim to it, too. We all go through those scene fashion, that scene fashion bullshit. But like uh, like Tommy Hilfiger sweater vests and polo shirts and stuff. I, I never did. The, I never. Yeah, I mean, those were a thing for sure. Um, I didn't do those. I just had some basic ones. But uh, yeah, the Jinko jeans, definitely not my proudest moment, but um, it was there. It happened. <laughs> There's photo evidence of it. <laughs> I I never bought Jinkos, but I know I had a bunch of like wide legged pants from the Gap, and that you know it served the same purpose. They were, yeah, you know, like. And now I look at them and go, like that's that's so weird. But like I I have a teenager, and they're starting to wear like they're very steeped in like '90s fashion, right? And uh, it's weird to me because like my wife said, she's like, I'm not giving up these skinny jeans. These guys gave us this. I'm not, I'm not giving them up, but these guys have moved on to like stuff that I look at. I'm like, that's a trip to see them wearing the stuff that we were wearing in high school. Right. It all comes back, right? There's like oh, this yeah. 30, 30 year gap, 20 year gap. And then it kind of comes back around again. It, it is weird. Cause I remember in high school seeing shit like that pop up too. I think like, Oh yeah. I remember when everybody went through the, like the in the nineties that hip everybody was a hippie. Like there was a hippie phase and everybody was wearing like the hemp necklaces and playing hacky sack everywhere you go. 
And I was like, what, what the fuck is it? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I also went through all the same stupid, like punk rock, hardcore kid clothing shit too. So <laughs> I, I feel like I avoided most of it, but um, yeah, I definitely got, I got hit up in that Jinko <laughs> moment, you know, uh, I'm glad it passed fairly quickly. And, uh, yes. and then I, I, I wore normal fitting clothing again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so where is like because you have such a like you have like a long history in in uh in underground well for lack of a better term we'll say underground music um what's the jumping off point for you like was there an older sibling or a, a relative or somebody that got you you know showed you some punk rock records like what how does it start for you um no uh my i have an older brother and he gave me all of his like classic rock stuff vinyl sure. from a very early age so it was like i remember him I, I was young i was probably like nine or whatever and he gave me a bunch of records and it was um you know black sabbath and zeppelin and yep. and stuff like that and kiss and i uh, kiss was like my first kind of thing that i was like you know because it, it you know it was less about the music yeah, there you go yeah he's really <laughs> yeah so it was, it was it was less about the music at that point and more just about, you know, their look. Obviously, it was kind of yeah. like having superheroes that played music. Um, I feel like the, the punk rock hardcore thing actually came from, um, you know, it started with skateboarding, you know, around 11 years old. And um, I had a friend that his older brother was i mean we're talking this had to be like 86 87 he had an older brother that was in he was a skinhead and he was involved in the in the new york hardcore scene and he had all of those records and they shared a room together so i was exposed to that stuff around that age and i'm not saying i got into it at that age but right. i was um i heard that stuff very early on yeah um and it was honestly it was kind of you know scary sounding at first to me, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I was intrigued by it and I, but it wasn't like I was going out and buying those records at that point, but I did hear Crow Mags for the first time. I did hear Agnostic Front. I did hear uh, a little bit later on Sick of It All. And, you know, yep. so that stuff was all kind of killing time and, uh, you know, when it was raw deal and, yeah. um, but then, and then he also was playing, uh, you know, he, he, besides hardcore, he also loved like the Smiths and the jam. Yep. And, um, so I was hearing that stuff around that time, but I think it was just a little bit too, I don't know, mature in a way for me, you know, I didn't get it, I, I, get I, I didn't it, get yep. it in that, in that moment, you yep. know, but that was my kind of like, he was like my jumping off point to hearing all that stuff, hmm. but I don't feel like it was really until, um, that I got involved in the like hardcore scene until I started in high school. And I, uh, I met my friend Julian who, um, who sings for a band called still suit. I don't okay. know if you ever heard of it yeah, before, yeah. but, um, yeah, we went to high school together and he was kind of the first one to, cause at that point I was listening to like, you know, alternative music or whatever, of course. Yep. but he was the first one to kind of play me like, you know, quicksand and, um, you know, like when the seven inch was just out, I don't even think yeah. Slip was out yet. Yeah. And so like, that's when the whole kind of the post hardcore stuff happened. Yep. And, uh, that's when I just became really kind of obsessed with it. Sure. Sure. Now, did you, cause it sounds like for you, it starts kind of in that, that first post hardcore wave. Did you like retroactively go back and like reacquaint yourself with like youth of today and all of that stuff or, 
did you just sort of keep going down that path of like, I'm going to ingest it all. I think we all end up doing that eventually where we kind of take it all in, but it sounds like you kick off with, with quicksand kind of. Yeah. I mean, like, like I said, like I was kind of listening to that stuff periodically sure. and, and, you know, I getting tapes from my friend's older brother and yeah. I liked the stuff and I, I, I never went to shows that early on cause I was too young. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until like, I would say like 92 that I started going to more like of the smaller, like post hardcore stuff yeah. around that yeah. time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just took it all in. So I was like listening to the, the old, old school, hardcore stuff. Yep. Um, but really mostly like, and I liked it and there were bands I liked way more than others. Like I love, I still to this day love sick of it all. I still love gorilla biscuits. I still love, um, agnostic front, you know? Yep. Um, I love, but then it was like the stuff that really hit me was like quicksand and burn. Um, sure. you know, the stuff that was just a little bit, you know, was going to that next phase of it all. Yes. Yeah. I, I, uh, I completely am of the same mindset where like you get, you know, you enter in with like, like for me, I think it was like that first minor threat, uh, discography, like that's kind of the tipping point. But then you, you know, like you discover like descendants, Husker do all of this stuff. Like you, you, so it just, once that door opens, I feel like most people it's the doors open and then this whole world, is available to you and you're just, you yeah. can't get it fast enough. You know, it's like, Oh, all this revelation record stuff, all this discord stuff. And, uh, but I, I think, uh, and I think that's kind of a theme here that I keep running into with the guests that I, um, I've had is you hit that kind of quicksand burn, like that wave more so than like, you know, we often reference you, we reference a band like rights of spring, but I think most people quicksand is kind of the, the true, uh, entry point as far as post hardcore goes, at least from what I'm seeing anyway. Well, and especially for me personally, growing up in New York, you know, yeah. it just felt, I just felt so much more connected to that, to that band, you know, like quicksand for was sure. like, you know, my first true love and the thing that changed it all for me was Jane's addiction. But like, then it's like, the, you know, after that, and then when you're kind of getting a little bit more local, like when I heard quicksand, it was like another one of those moments that just blew my mind where, yes. Um, it had that same kind of, I don't know, like aggression that, you know, you yep. hear in like Perry's voice. Like, I don't feel like a lot of people will, would put Perry, think about Perry Farrell and Walter in the same way, but yep. I hear their vocal delivery in the same way, you know, uh-huh. I, even though like musically they're two different sounding bands, but I feel like when you listen to like slip and you hear, or, and then you hear some of the vocal stuff on ritual, um, like I really compare the two a lot in their yeah. delivery. Yeah. There are, there's a running theme that I've had in the, on the show so far. And I'm saying like everybody, Jonah, Matra- uh, Jonah Matranga, Norman Brandon, you, Joseph Grillo, uh, Jeff Caudill, everybody so far has said Jane's addiction and REM. These two names keep popping up. And I, I think it's interesting to see, the influence that Jane's had on so many bands and so many people from that scene, because we think of Ben caught stealing Jane's addiction. We don't think about like the first incarnation, that raw Jane's addiction stuff that I feel like has a pretty profound uh, influence on post hardcore. 
Yeah. I mean, like even on the same record, like it's funny, I'm about to do in about a week. Um, my buddy Rob has a podcast called the gross out podcast where yeah. they talk about, have you heard, have you heard that podcast yeah. before? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually going to be doing the Jane's addiction episode. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. Um, which I'm looking forward to because who doesn't want to talk about like their all time, you know, favorite band, like the band that made them want to play music, For sure. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, you saying being caught stealing, which is on ritual, I mean, if you listen, you know, with, on that same record, there's ain't no right. And right. like yeah. that, which has such an, a, you know, a powerful, I don't know. Like, I just feel like that, that vocal delivery on that song is just yeah. so aggressive and amazing Yes, where I, I can, I can like, you know, parallel it to, um, you know, something that Walter would do on, you know, a quicksand song. Yes, absolutely. Like I've even, I've even, uh, like, drawn the parallel like if you think of the build in uh and the transitions in like mountain song the way the drums those drums sound very similar to me to that first wave of like the early quicksand stuff where you feel this like thing creeping in and building the songs are very much structured the same way and yeah. i I love hearing so many people say like yeah man Jane's addiction is what Jane's addiction is like connective tissue from like Gorilla Biscuits to to uh, to Quicksand, which is pretty fucking cool to think about. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy that you, you know it went from that sound to yeah. the, the, you know to the next sound. Yeah, and I, I think in this on the same token, REM, because like Michael Stipe is maybe one of the most like uh, against the grain punk rock people that we've had in music. Like I don't know that people think of him in that context, but that guy has been swimming you know swimming upstream willingly i feel like his entire career like he's not worried about what the perception is he's he's gonna make his art the way he wants to make it and i that's absolutely you can see where the influence comes from there for sure uh so where do so where do bands start for you then so like you know we're we're seeing you know the quicksand burn we're seeing that pop up where do you pick up an instrument and start heading down that path I mean, I think I started playing around like 13 years old when I got like my first instrument. Um, But it wasn't until I would say 18, I started playing with a couple of friends, but it was like this instrumental. um, There was a band on Sub Pop called Five Style. Yeah. Which had, do you know that band? that had like members of Tortoise and. I um, love that era of Sub Pop. (laughs) Yeah. So we did a band that was kind of like that. There was no vocals and it kind of had like, I don't want to say funk, but it just had like Mm -hmm. that kind of feel to it. A groove. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And we played, we played one show at uh, a high school, like talent (laughs) show. Uh, And it was, it was fun, but that was, that was where it, you know, kind of left off. Um, And then really my first band was, my first real band was Seisha. That's, that's really cool. Like that's a hell of a first band. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And it was cool because Billy, uh, who is the singer of Seisha, um, we, he, we worked across the street from each other. Okay. So, uh, in Queens. So I worked at a haagen ice cream shop and he worked at a Boston chicken. Well, it, it was Boston market, <laughs> yeah. but it's called Boston chicken at the time. Yeah. And it was like literally across the street from each other. And, um, we were, we became friends that way just from like, he would come in and I would yeah. come in on like lunch break or whatever. And, uh, we started talking about music 
And then we'd also, there was a park in the area called Cunningham Park and uh, we would go skateboard there at night and just hang out. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then we just started going to shows together and we talked about doing a band cause he had played drums in his first band. Um, and they were like a bond street cafe band where they would, you know, play there and be involved yeah. in the shows there. Um, and we, we, we actually even made flyers to get other people to play and it just never happened. And then, uh, he called me, this is probably like a year or so later mm-hmm. and said he found people okay. to play. Okay. And, uh, um, and then like, he's like, come down to this, they have like, you know, those hourly rehearsal studios in, in the city. Mm-hmm. And I went down and it was like the guys in Seisha were in there and I never met any of them except I, the cool. only person I knew go, the only person I knew going in was Billy. And, uh, from that first practice, we like wrote our, the first song. Wow. And, uh, and then that was it. You guys have such a unique place in this music because, there, there are, I, I can't think of maybe, maybe a handful of bands that if you're going to put bands in a similar uh, stable together, there's very few, like Seisha had a unique sound. Was that deliberate or was it just, this is the amalgamation of these people and it just came out like this. Like it's a really distinct, unique sound that nobody else in the genre I don't think ever really had without sounding like they were trying to sound like Seisha. So how did that sound come out of you guys? It was 100% the latter of what you just said. I mean, okay. uh, I think we all just um, had, like we all liked, you know, obviously there's a through line where we liked a lot of the same stuff. Right. But I think we were all on our instruments pulling from different places, you know, um, Greg is a documented lover of Joy Division, you know, yeah, yeah. and um, <laughs> not that you would ever hear that. And I mean, he played in he was the first drummer of Interpol, too. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that, but that that checks out. <laughs> yeah. So like we would have Seisha practices and then he would go to Interpol practice in the next room at wow. Funk, at Funkadelic Studios in New York. Jesus. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I mean, he loved that stuff, but then he also loved kind of like the screamy stuff too, you know? And, um, and you know, Billy, I think was like pulling from like a lot of the San Diego stuff going on, you know, drive like Jehu. Um, yeah, yeah, just like, and I I mean, even like, you know, like heroin and Mm -hmm. a a lot of the, like, and then I was pulling, you know, from the more like, I didn't want to have a million parts in a song without there being like a little bit of melody behind it too, you know? So I think any parts that I was writing or coming up with or whatever was like, I was always thinking about like, is there not a hook, but like, I don't know, just something else in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, and I was pulling from like the whole like post hardcore thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it Um, all, it all came together in a super unique sound and, like, I feel like, I, I feel like what happens is I don't think people realize it in the moment, but did you guys, was there a certain point where Seisha was like, oh, okay, we're on to something like we, or did, was it just like, we're just doing this. We're kids playing this music and it's urgent and this shit is coming out of us and we're just going to go with it. Yeah, like, that's exactly yeah. that, man. Like I felt like the, uh. You know, Jamie came up. Jamie's such an incredible musician. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, he made me such a better guitar player because I was never, I never took lessons. I wasn't really, I was never trained. I learned how to play by ear. 
Um, and he's like a ridiculous musician, Jamie. Um, and so he just made me want to play better. You know, it's like almost like keep, you know, catch up to this guy. And like, you know, I have to try to write parts based on his totally crazy parts, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We just, we were just writing like crazy, you know, he would come in with something and we just all, we, it was just like, it was, I don't know, it sounds cheesy, but like lightning in a bottle type of thing where we were just like going and there were times where we would end a practice and then we would call another rehearse or try to book in and more time because we were just like, we just wanted to play so much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it comes through because there is a, Sasha has like at the first time I the first time I'd heard you guys and you might be able to help. I cannot I've been trying all week. I've been trying to think of the name of it. There was a comp that I heard you guys on. And I I know we were on an ABC No Rio comp. Um but I don't remember what else. I I cannot remember and I've been trying all week. I was googling trying to find it and like it wasn't really leading me anywhere. But it's there's a spike in that compilation with you guys that is, there's a, such a unique sound and it got me, I started thinking about it this week. What was, how, how were you guys received? Cause you start building up momentum. You start recording. I could, you're smiling. So I'm curious to see what the reception <laughs> was out the gate. Uh, I mean, it, I feel like probably pretty polarizing, No, I mean, I feel like, you know, we had friends that, you know, we were an ABC No Rio band. We played CBGBs once. um, And most of the, I mean, all of our shows in New York were at ABC No Rio. And we did some shows on Long Island, you know, in basements or or like YMCA's or whatever. Um, And then, you know, a couple of East Coast tours. And then after I left the band, they went and did a tour out to California. Okay. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't feel like we had people at our shows. Mm-hmm. There were some memorable shows that, like, you know, stood that still stand out to me to this day where I feel like we had, like, these really great moments. But, I mean, you know, for the most part, it was just, like, our friends coming to see us play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, like, poorly attended shows, you know, <laughs> in Florida or whatever, you know. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we played a show. Uh, uh, we played the Nine Fest in uh, in Maryland. And that mm-hmm. I remember being that was my that was my last show with the band before before leaving. Um, yeah. And I remember that being a good show. But we always had like, you know, we always had technical problems. Our equipment was always breaking. Yeah. Jamie like broke a, a string, a song. My amp was never working. You know, there was just <laughs> always something. Right. So it just always felt like we always felt like not always, but it felt like a lot of our shows were just kind of like you know, fails. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, people, I guess liked it, but it wasn't like what it is today. Right. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. It's like, I feel like there's more of like a myth behind the band than what it actually was. Yes. Yeah. I, I, and you guys, uh, you guys are one of the bands that has that rare distinction of having a mythos behind you. Uh, similar to, uh, I, uh, I, I I would kind of say akin to um, bands like Split Lip. I feel like like obviously musically different, but like there's a there's this uh, allure to how people talk about Sation now. 
as opposed to like you're saying, like you guys were young guys with whose gear was was fucking up on you, and uh, you know you were just you were like every other band. It was it was the trials and tribulations of playing and playing underground music. Um, yeah, I, I almost feel like it was like the whole refuse thing before they got back together, right? Yes. Because they released that record in 98 and then they break up. I think they yep. broke up before the record even came out, right? Yeah, so yeah. Now you, you're giving people 20 years or so to digest <laughs> an album, right? And like yeah. discover an album. And, you know, I'm still blown away to this day when people message me and, you know, say, you know, from like, from Chile or, you know, like just yeah. from the UK. And they're like, you know, I discovered your band in 2003 or like this, your music means so much to me. And it's like, it just blows my mind that people sure. are still, you know, or just discovering it now, you know? Yeah. I, I can, I can tell you too, uh, in some of my searches, there are a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of people that have made their own like uh bootleg Seisha t-shirts over the years yes. there's, there's a lot of that floating around out there uh <laughs> and the tattoo the tattoos blow my mind too <laughs> yeah sure. it's like a lot of people get that um the cover of the of the first seven inch which is yes. a picture of me and my cousin kissing when we're like three years old it's wild dude <laughs> i know i'm just like someone has a someone has a tattoo of me kissing my cousin on their arm which Does is your just... cousin know this uh i don't i mean i she knows about the cover you know yeah. i don't know um I don't know the extent to, you know, if she knows the extent of it though. Yeah. Hey, people have tattooed you on. <laughs> yeah. Um, what you, you'd mentioned like some memorable shows. What was there one or two that uh, of your years in Seisha that are really like standout profound shows for you? I think my favorite show we ever played um, was a show in DC Mm-hmm. And I do not remember any of the other bands that played, but we played at this cafe that wasn't in the best part of town. And I remember I was standing out front um, before the show and the people the like the kids that were doing the show were like telling me that I need to go inside because there was a drive by shooting the week before. <laughs> and I was like, OK, and it was at some weird like like Jamaican cafe or something like that. Okay. And, but it, but the show was packed and it obviously we're playing on the floor Yeah, and just like the, the kids that were there were so they weren't like the arms, the typical like arms yep. folded crowd. Yeah. They were just like, I don't even know if they knew the songs. Cause I forget when it was in, in the yeah. course of our time together, like whether the demo was out or, um, whatever. But I just remember them being so enthusiastic and like, you know, lots of like finger pointing and screaming and, you know, just like, and I just remember it being like a really great show. That's uh, it's interesting too, to hear that in a different city, you're in a different market and you're seeing a more like live manic energy on at the shows. And you have to wonder, like it, it, it's weird when you think of different cities and different scenes, like for us, I'm in Northwest Ohio. So like our claim to fame is, is the Necros. And, okay. uh, you know, like, so there's that, there, there, that kind of permeates, sorry, my dog is going, April, uh-huh. you're good. Um, uh, there's this, uh, they they kind of are woven into the DNA and the fabric of this area in the same way that like, um, 
even like the MC5 and the Stooges because we're just south of Detroit and Ann Arbor. So that will always kind of be woven into the fabric from like down I-75, from like Detroit into Toledo. Right. And you, I think the same way like DC and New York and, and, and LA, like all of these cities have this. And I, I would also say like Minnesota, if you think about like the replacements, Husker do, do you feel like in your travels, you've seen like the different energies and the histories behind these scenes? Like, does it come through the crowd still or, or did it, was it coming through? Like this is DC, this is where minor threat and Fugazi and da 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 came from. Uh, I mean, I don't really, I didn't really feel that in the um, playing with Seisha in those, in those yeah, cities, sure. you know? Um, Cause I just feel like when you think about those bands, I don't know. I didn't really feel a connection from like, yeah. because we're playing in DC and we had a great show that sure. it was because of minor because threat, of them, you know yeah, what I sure. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think all those major cities had a vibrant scene at that time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like playing in Philly and playing at Stalag was like playing at the, playing at the ABC in Rio of Philly, you know? Yeah, sure. Sure. It's like, if you're, um, like going to Berkeley, and you're playing Gilman Street. That's kind of like they, the, the ABC yep. no Rio of yeah. the West Coast, you know? Yeah, they're broken in chair, basically, that you get to sit in. Right. Um, so coming out of Seisha, where do you um, – because then you're – you know, there's this history you have with, um, with, with Artie and – these bands that he's been in, uh, that he, that he started, how, how, where do you go from Seisha into you leave Seisha? What, why do you leave Seisha? What are the, what, you know, what are the life transitions you're making? Like, how does it lead you to that next, that next step then musically? Books. So going back to like what I was personally into when it, yeah. when in Seisha, you know, besides uh, like the, the post New York hardcore, there was also a really vibrant scene on Long Island, which obviously okay. tied into tied yeah. into the city as well. But Long Island had its own set of incredible bands. Yeah. Um, and one of those bands was Mind Over Matter, which was Artie's first band and a band that I absolutely loved from, you know, when I started going to shows. Um, and seeing them like as early as like, you know, 93, 94, something like that. I just fell in love with that band. They just were so different, um, had their own unique thing going on. Um, so I've known Artie, you know, loosely, I knew him and during that time I'd met him and, um, and then they broke up, which was like a huge deal for Long Island. You know, yeah, they, uh, yeah. their last show was at this place, the P, uh, PWAC on Long Island. And it was like a th- over a thousand kids there. And it was, uh, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, but they, so then Artie, Artie, Artie broke up mind over matter to start world's fastest car with Walter, which is okay. Walter's yep. post quicksand band. Yep. So that lasted, I don't know, maybe a year or two before, it just kind of dissolved. Mm-hmm. And then he started Era Type 11. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to see Era Type 11 at Coney Island High. It was my first time seeing them. And at that particular show, Artie announced on stage that Scott, the bass player, was leaving the band. And he says, ah. I don't, we don't, he said, we don't know who's going to do it yet, but, um, I don't know, something along those lines. And I remember turning to my girlfriend at that time. I'm like, I'm like, I want, I said, I want to be in this band. Yeah. And I was in, I, and I was in Seisha at the time. Um, so 
I remember there's like a down, there was a downstairs, like, I guess like dressing room area, Coney Island high. And, um, I went down there and I just said, Hey, are you still, uh, you know, are you looking for a bass player? And he's like, yeah. And so we kind of exchanged information and, uh, I didn't even own a, I didn't even have a bass at the time. <laughs> and he was, he was like, I think their seven inch just came out for superstore. And he's just like, um, okay. he's like, well, the, the album wasn't out. The first album wasn't out yet. Oh, okay. So said, this is, um, this is early air type then. This is. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like yeah. They, they had, rec- so they had recorded the first album, but it wasn't okay. out yet. Yeah. So the, yeah. They, some had just put the superstore seven inch out. Okay. And yep. so I, um, he's like, Oh, go. Um, he said something like get the seven inch and like learn that or something. And I just said, I know it already. And I didn't. You know, but I was just so like eager to like be like be to band. get a chance yeah, yeah. To, to, sure. to get a chance to try out. So um, I went and I got the, I, and I just kind of basically borrowed Colin from Stacia's bass. Yeah. For like a week and just, you know, learn the songs that were on the seven inch. And then I rehearsed with them and then they gave me a cassette copy of the album because, like I said, it wasn't out yeah. yet. Yeah. And then I seriously locked myself in a room and learned the whole record yes. and then went back at the next practice and we just played the album through and they were still not like, Oh, you have it because they were talking to a couple of other people and like trying out a couple of other people. Yeah. Yeah. But then, then Scott, they had a show. Do you, have you ever heard of the Mac rock festival that happened in Virginia? Yes. Yeah. So they had, they were booked to play Mac rock and um, Scott, I guess there was like, bad communication and Scott couldn't do the show. Mm-hmm. So because they knew, I already knew the songs. They're like, you want to play the show? Come on, man. And I was like, yeah. So <laughs> I went and played the show with them and that, and then that was pretty much it. Okay. And so then, was... so to, to, yeah. So then I, yeah. then I, you know, I was in the band and, you know, in hindsight, I mad at myself. Cause I, at the time it felt like you couldn't do more than one band. You know, it yeah. felt like you had to be serious and committed to one thing. Yeah. And I think, uh, Artie and Phil and Eric were very like, you know, it was pretty much the beginning of the band. They were about to have a record come out mm-hmm. and they were like wanting to play as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And all the guys and Seisha were going to NYU and, you know, they were s- students and not yeah. that they weren't serious about Seisha and playing, but I just felt like they were more career minded that this was, uh, you know, Seisha wasn't going to, they weren't trying to be career musicians. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Yep. And at that point, that's something that I really wanted. So I just, um, I just was like, I have to make a choice because, and I just felt like this was my opportunity to possibly play music for a long time. Right. Right. And air type 11 is, uh, is a, one of the bands that truly feels like a, in this scene, this post-hardcore scene, Airtype 11 felt like a tried-and-true rock and roll band. And I think that's where you guys stood out amongst your peers is this doesn't feel like a band that are like, oh, we were hardcore kids and you know now we're going to sing instead of scream. This felt like a rock and roll band. Like, Artie yeah. sounds like a rock and roll singer. The songs feel like rock and roll songs. Like, that, that's a, that is where you, I think Airtype was so much different than everybody around them was. 
And I like because is the first record on some or was it amplified? Yeah. Or, okay, so, they're, bo- they're both on some, but there yeah. was an e- there was an EP in between them that came out on Crank, crank. Records. Yeah, so that's my introduction to you guys. Was the Crank EP? Is the Crank EP? Um, because it was one of those, if that's in that era, there's a heyday. There were all those labels. Like you just kind of, if they put it out, you bought it. <laughs> like, you right. know, and, uh, crank was definitely like on that list for me of like, and I'm like air type 11. Okay. And you read, you know, you read who the members, what bands they were in that sort of shit. And that EP, that opening track, I was just like, Oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> Cause I've, I've, I've always had, I had, you know, like my my old man, same thing. Neil Young, Deep Purple, the classic rock thing. You know that transitions for me, and like Thin Lizzy is another one. And when I think of bands with two guitars, true like rock and roll singers, Air Type Eleven is that band where it's like, oh, it's okay to sound like a rock singer. You don't, you don't, you don't well, have. Well, to- we we thought it was. <laughs> we thought it was but uh not many other people did at that time <laughs> uh where wh- like so what's that like so airtype is is a for me is a huge standout like airtype 11's in my like if if i'm gonna break down a list of like you know my favorite you know like post hardcore whatever from that era amplified rock is absolutely in my top 10 list of uh albums so what is yeah (laughs) no thank you for all these years of good music uh what what is that like you guys start playing shows it's picking up steam like are people because you've got Artie who's in mind over matter you were in satia you're familiar to these people are they was the was it a long road to acceptance like what is what's the fan reaction to all of it well, so you got to keep in mind. So me being in say coming from Seisha didn't mean anything to anyone. Okay. You know what I mean? Because we're talking like we were a band for like a year and a half at that point when I yeah. left, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm so happy that I was able to, you know, uh, record that the Seisha LP right yeah. before I left the band. And, and, you know, obviously the, the demo seven inch, whatever, um, and kind of have, you know, put my part into that music. Yeah. Um, but no one cared that I was coming from Seisha, <laughs> okay. you know, I think it's the long-term thinking is where I'm coming from is like, right, right, right. Yeah. But, but, yeah. Uh, but it mostly, um, Aerotype, I feel like right off the jump, because Artie was coming from Mind Over Matter and yeah. and and Phil was coming from Clockwise yeah. and and Eric was in Bad Trip, like that held the weight for that band. Sure. Not me. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, which is great because, you know, Mind Over Matter and Bad Trip and Clockwise, those were all really loved bands in, mm-hmm. in on Long Island and New York. So um, and then the fact that it was coming out on Walter and Sammy, Sammy's label yeah. and, and Matt, yeah. you know, Matt, who was in Judge, you know, it's like that there held some weight to it. Yep. So um, we I feel like Aerotype was accepted from the jump sure. um, it, it, on Long Island and New York. You know, we always always had good shows at home. Right. Right. And uh, um, there's, <clears throat> but then you, you know, as like, like you're saying, like Long Island in New York, you're, you feel at home. Um, uh, there's another band I think of too, when I think of Airtype and it's six going on seven. Yeah. Because it's another, like, these are real rock bands. These are not like, you know, there's no, there's no pretending to be rock bands. These are, this is legit. Um, you've right. got You've got the pedigree. As far as like, you know, if you got, you got a history of great bands that you guys have all been in 
it's going well on Long Island and New York. Eventually you've got to fan out. So when does like, what is touring unfold for you guys? Uh, we started with like East coast runs. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, every, I mean, there were super fun moments, but all era type 11 tours in the U S were pretty miserable experiences. <laughs> You know, because we were, we were, you know, we were playing, you know, like I said, there were some great standout shows, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but we were playing basements or like, yeah. you know, VFW halls or whatever throughout the country. And, you know, a lot of them not well attended, but what I have to say is that we always played, you know, Artie's like famous line would be like, um, I close my eyes and I'm, I'm playing, you know, Madison square garden and I open my eyes and I see you and there would be like three people, you know, (laughs) but we would just have fun with it because it's like, what else are you going to do? You're playing, you know, anyone that's in a band that's toured, um, you know, you know, you're in Columbia, South Carolina and you're playing in front of five people and you've just, uh, you know, the, the band that opened for you was the guy with a keyboard screaming into it with, you know, like (laughs) puppet puppets in the background or something. You're just like, what, what am I doing with my life? Yep. Um, (laughs) but you know, you just have to make the best of it. And, and just, we always played like we were playing a sold out show somewhere. We always gave it our all. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Touring was, you know, good moments, bad moments, but yeah, we always had yeah. fun. Uh, so, so how long is the time frame between Air Type Eleven to Instruction? Like, it's not a huge gap, if I'm remembering right. Oh, like the, from when Air Type broke up to Instruction yeah. starting? Yeah, I mean, it was immediate. It okay, was, uh, it okay. Was, so that was like 2002. Two, I think, where our time we played our last show. Phil just wasn't feeling it anymore. He was focusing on his career, and um, and he had met his now wife at the time. And I just yep. think he just didn't want to get in a van anymore, which yep. I totally understand. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I had that moment in my life too. Um, so, but you know, Artie and I were very much like, okay, what's next? You know, and he's always writing. He's such an amazing songwriter, and. Um, so he had a whole batch of songs and we just started playing and, um, Ty, who is the last drummer of Aerotype, kind of continued on with us. And, yeah. um, and so it was just the three of us at first. And then I, I forget how it happened, but he was like, Oh, Tom from quicksand is, uh, going to come down and play with us. And, you know, that, blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> no, I totally get that. Um, I, I, I remember, I remember, you know, amongst our friends, it was like, Oh, this guy's got a new band. So we check it out and it sounded like it sounded so big. And, uh, and I mean this in a complimentary way, but it sounded professional. Does that, do you get what I'm saying? Like, like instructions sounded like, Oh, they're not fucking around. These guys came to, came, came to, to make some shit happen. I feel like, uh, instruction was a very, uh, stripped down, uh, dumbed down, dumbed down version of era type 11. Okay. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just felt like we're like, let's, uh, I don't know. I feel like with era type was like, you know, always trying to write something catchy and heavy Mm -hmm. and hooky or whatever, but like, I almost felt like it was 
always kind of went over people's heads in a way. Sure. Yeah. And so we were looking just to do something a little bit more, I think felt like instruction was, you know, capturing all those elements that we had in Aerotype, but just in a more like heavier stripped down way. Yeah. Yeah. Felt more, uh, like instruction felt like it was ready for ready for prime time, so to speak. Like, uh, that those, those songs sound very like, but like you're saying too, like in comparison, if you hold a, a, an air type 11 record up against an instruction record, there is significant differences in terms of the, the process, but what it sounds like the process by which the songs were written, like instruction sounds like they're deliberately kind of stripped down to their, to their essence a bit. Um, yeah. And then you're missing, like, I mean, obviously, I think the biggest difference is Phil, right? Because Phil of course, is sure. Phil is like one of the most melodic guitar players you will ever hear. You know, yeah. he he's coming from a place of loving Descendants and yeah. and and Irish folk music, and yep. he incorporated all of that into Aerotype Eleven. That's so cool. You know, that, yeah. where where Artie was coming from, like a you know a Noel Gallagher. You know, yeah. like an Oasis meets super drag, <laughs> uh, you know, and then throwing in some heavy stuff in there. And then you have Phil, who has such an amazing, he is an amazing singer in his own right yeah. and incredible guitar player and just, in, and just weaving in all of this melody into those songs Yeah, where it's like, it's like melody on top of melody. It's like those two guys to get, you know, Artie and Phil together, the way they would play off each other yeah. made the, made those aerotype, you know, songs so catchy. Yeah. What is it like being in a band that becomes beloved by the British music press? It was awesome. I mean, that's why we toured England so much. We, yeah. You know, be- between Aerotype in the very end, we got to go over there. Yeah. And then instruction throughout our entire time as a band, you know, that was home for us. Yeah. That was home. England, the UK was more home than New York was home for yeah, instruction. Absolutely. I mean, you guys were, you guys were playing like some pretty significant shows over there. What, yeah. what it, the British, British music press has a really weird reputation in history. I feel like, and like it, they're kind of, it's a kind of a perplexing approach to what like they deem I don't know, like, like it, it, what gets their stamp of approval, you know, like you instantly Oasis comes to mind, right? Because like, I, I feel like with the explosion of Oasis, like you really saw like, oh, okay, this is like, these guys are the darlings of this whole thing, but the British music press kept their fire stoked. What, what do you uh, like, did, did you, were you guys aware? Like, did it just happen immediately overseas or was it like, uh, it gradually like this, this shit just keeps going and Holy shit. Like these are big shows. Like, well, how does that go over there? How do you, how do you end up in that position? Uh, we just, we kind of got lucky. We knew, uh, so have you ever heard of the band hundred reasons? Oh yeah. I really like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're a great band. And so they were in New York. They somehow were, like like to Aerotype Eleven, yeah, and they were in New York recording their first album uh, with Dave Sardi at the Magic Shop. So it's okay. kind of like we had all these ties because our friend Juan was an engineer at the Magic Shop, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he knew that those guys were fans of Aerotype Eleven, and then we were playing a show so in Brooklyn, and they came down to the show, and we just became like we just kind of 
struck up a friendship with those guys Mm -hmm. and then hundred reasons blew up in the UK. Yeah. And, um, so they invited us over toward the end and then that, you know, having, having a band that's from the UK kind of champion your band, you know, wearing like, you know, they played Reading Festival and Colin, the singer is wearing an Aerotype 11 shirt in, yeah. on the main stage at, at Reading, you know, yeah, like yeah. little things like that. And they covered one of our songs on BBC. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. So the the song Great, which yeah. is it, it, that's actually an Aerotype 11 song. That was one of the later Aerotype 11 songs that we wrote. And it just became an instruction song. What? Oh, okay, okay, all right, gotcha. Because I'm, I'm trying to play. Like, is was great something Airtype released? Uh, I it so I I don't even remember. It's so like that period is so kind of hazy because yeah, at the end yeah, of Airtype, yeah. at the end of Airtype, we recorded so many songs that never came out until a couple of years ago yeah, on that yeah. when when Arctic Rodeo put out yep. the stuff on vinyl. So yeah. we had a whole album's worth of unreleased material. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, gotcha. Um, that's, I, I, it was really weird to be a fan of the bands that you guys have all done. And then like, tr- like reading about instruction, you know, I'm reading about it online, but I'm also like, like you're going to the bookstore. Like I'm looking, I always looked at those British rock magazines. Like I yeah, think like we Kerrang, all did. Kerrang. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, because the, there's such a wide, like, like such a wide array of bands that they were covering. Like, honestly, like the, like bands like that I love to this day, like the Libertines it's because I was, you know, I, I, you know, eventually they'd make their way here, but like I read about them and Kerrang going to the bookstore, but it was a trip to see instruction. These guys, you know, you feel like, Oh, these are our guys. Cause these are the dudes in air type 11 and they're over here fucking blowing it up. And then I had a connection to, uh joseph grillo because i was in a band that played some shows with garrison oh cool so um like you know then when he kind of joins the ranks amongst you guys like that was also another connective piece for us like man look at this these guys are getting getting huge like and and then to like to come here like i i don't know that's just i think that's just how americans process music but that has to be well i think I think in the UK, like, well, the thing about the, why I think we did well in the UK is that, uh, the thing that was kind of worked against us, which sometimes could be Artie's mouth, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Right. Worked for us in the UK. Totally makes sense. Right. He like picked up on what was like, you know, kind of working and he just, he just went with it. Yeah. And yeah. it did. Like, I think the combination of the music, the the ex-members factor, the help from our friends that were in bands yep. in, from the UK, and then just his stage banter, yeah. like, it all, like, you know, the press in the UK love writing about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You and know? he's he's a, he has a, a button pusher. <laughs> yes. Reputation. With- he, he's a habitual line stepper as a... Uh, <laughs> As Charlie Murphy would say. Yes, yes. That's... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he he is a I, – I loved guys. Those were my favorite dudes. Like another one I remember being that way was uh, was Mark Brickey from the Enkindles. He uh, – Okay. I, I remember – distinctly remember a couple like real 
sass mouth. <laughs> I feel like we played with that band a couple of times. They were one of the Louisville bands. Uh, yeah, I feel like we. I think we played with them in Louisville um, at like an arcade or something like that. Sure, that that would check out. I, I we saw more of them because Doghouse Records was based is was based in Toledo, and okay. a lot of that Louisville. Like, I think that's where. And this is going to be the long road sort of to why I love air type 11. Like there's a lot of factors, but like um, doghouse had Chamberlain and then you had like some connect connectivity to the Louisville scene. So like I, I, you know, I got the opportunity to see bands like being Kindles or like Elliot, these, you know, like guitar rock bands and Chamberlain watching their musical transition of how different they became. I've always, I'm partial to, I, I know it now in my 40s. I like big guitar rock. <laughs> like that's <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. No, man. Like I, and I fucking loved Minor Threat. Don't get me wrong. And Joy Division, super minimal, min, you know, minimalistic. One of my favorite bands of all time. I like big bombastic rock and roll. And like you guys go on this string of bands that are just like, if you like big guitar rock, we are going to bring it for three straight bands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what were, I mean, there has to be some cool standout moments from that shit though. Like you're seeing some pretty significant like people in the music in, in rock and roll over there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it, just from instruction time you're asking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, that whole experience was just crazy, you know? Yeah. Like, from, from the UK tours to signing to a major label to touring with Corn in Lincoln Park. I mean, just, like, everything was just weird, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, and fun. And, like, you just got to go, okay, this is this is a strange moment, <laughs> you know? But I'm going to have fun with it. And yeah. so that was, yeah, I mean, there was so many, so many crazy, fun, you know, like, wow moments just yeah. getting to do, just getting to do things that as a kid, you never thought you would do, you know, like playing in an arena. Like I never thought I'd play in an arena, you know, and oh. I do a whole arena, a whole arena tour, you know, which is fucking wild. Like it's and, wild. Yeah. And to think too, like, of like, like opening for corn and Lincoln park, massive, huge bands. And, like it, and what's funny is there have been bands like that, like talking to Jonah Matranga, like when Far was opening for like Monster Magnet, getting put on tours like that. When they were like, "This is weird. This is a really weird place to be," but I do think instruction worked in that. I think that I think you guys do work in that realm, so to speak. We did and we didn't. It was like <laughs> we just. I just felt like we always had that curse of like. You know, when we Aerotype was like too rock for the emo scene yeah. and then too e- and then too emo for the rock scene. You know, it's yeah. like we always just like hovered in between the two. Yeah. So um <laughs> and then with instruction, it was like, you know, it was just unfortunately at the time that instruction was signed, like new metal was just so huge and we weren't a new metal band, you know. I mean Saturated I think you can like everything, yeah. Right. Yeah. So but you know, you're on a major label and they want you out on tour and we wanted to be out on tour, but all the tours we were getting were just with like Papa Roach and Chevelle and Corn and Lincoln Park and Puddle of Mud and just like, you know, bands that like some of the guys in those bands were great, great people like that. Okay. And a lot, and a lot, and a lot of them were terrible people, 
you know, that, yeah, <laughs> to, to, to match the terrible band. But like, you know, I can honestly say like, you know, I don't Papa Roach isn't a band I will ever put on, but those guys are like some of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Oh. And they were like, they were actually so much fun to be on tour with and like super generous and nice and just like great crew, great guys. And it almost makes you like the band in a weird way yeah, because, sure. you know, you just have this like good relationship with the guys. But, um, but then there were bands that, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but then you're just on tour with these bands that are just not only the band is terrible, but they're just not good people. No, just ego, ego maniacs and just ego or just, just terrible people just all shit around people. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Like you can tell like their actions are nefarious at all points right. in life. Yeah. And it is weird. Like, because like now as you get older and having kids, like it's something like, you know, like your kids start to develop their own tastes and likes. Yeah. And you are like, I've heard more pop music since being a father than I probably listened to my entire life. And I, and I formed this fucking like love for this stuff, you know, like there's artists that I genuinely really like. I really like Halsey. I really like Demi Lovato. I really like Doja Cat. I probably wouldn't if I didn't have kids, you know? And, uh, there's, but one thing I never formed and I like, even liking hardcore, I didn't let new metal stuff. I was just like, Oh, that shit is I'm like, why would you like that? But obviously people liked it. it did yeah. Not, I mean, there's, it, look, I can, I can find stuff I like within any genre of music. Sure. Right. Yep. yep. You know, like it, break stuff by Lincoln park comes on. I'm not, I'm not going to put, a, I'm, I'm sorry, Limp Bizkit comes on. I'm not going to put a Limp Bizkit CD on or album on myself, mm -hmm. but if that song came on the radio, I, you know, I wouldn't turn it off because it's just like, it's, it's, it's funny fun for, uh, yeah. fun for a few minutes, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, or like blind from born, like, you know, that's the fun song to listen to, yeah. but I'm not going to buy a corn album. No. Or like, like you mentioned Papa Roach, that whole, uh, that opening, that opening verse of that, uh, that last resort song. Everyone yeah. knows it. Like, yeah. Sophie and and you're not going to turn and you're not going to turn it off. No, you're, you're gonna, not going to turn that song off. You're going to chuckle and sing at least two lines of that verse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then like, you're also like, this is whack. Like, it's not, like I said, I'm not going to go out of my way to buy the album or no. put it on like as what uh, something I want to listen to. But if it comes on, you can have fun with it and you can recognize like, this is a catchy song. It's a well-written song. Sure. It's just not for me. Right. Right. And that's, that comes with, that absolutely has come with time for me where like, and I know like, you know, we're from these same music worlds where you probably did the same thing when you're younger, like fuck that shit. That music fucking sucks. That shit's, you know, it's poser shit. It's this and that who it doesn't matter. Like just let people like what they like. You don't, you can just go, that's not yeah. for me and that's okay. Yeah. I I've honestly, um, I've listened to everything from the very beginning and kind of unashamed about it all. Like, I mean, you know, no one would think that the guy that played guitar, one of the guitar players of Seisha listens to 311, but I listen to 311 sometimes sure. and I like yeah. that band, you know? And yeah. like, but I've also like born against, you know what I mean? So it's like, I just listen to, you know, and I like some Billie Eilish songs and I, you know yes. what I mean? Like I just, whatever it is, like, I don't care about, like, I'm not trying to be cool and listen to like one type of music. Like yep. if I like, if I like the band or the song, a good song is a good song. Yes, absolutely. And that, I think that comes with maturing as a music fan. 
I, I specifically remember like, you know, when you're a teenager into punk rock and hardcore, I'm kind of like hiding the fact that I, I loved, I was still routinely always listening to REM and the lemon heads and Oasis. I, you know, like I, there was a period of time where I was like, I was hiding my love of those bands Really? Oh, yeah, dude. Like, I like there was like this hardcore or punk rock purity thing where, like, and I, I was REM. I think got a pass, but Oasis, it was like, no, those guys are fucking. They're sellout. Like, of course they're sellouts. They're huge rock stars. They're fucking awesome. And now I look at them like those first two Oasis records are are practically untouchable albums. Yeah, I've never, I've never had that, I've never had that hiding feeling about music. I'm just, I've always kind of worn it on my sleeve of like yeah. what I like. And yep. I, don't get me wrong, my friends make fun of me to this day about certain things. <laughs> oh, you know yeah, what I mean? But yeah. like, I just feel okay, you know, laugh, but whatever. It's just like music subjective. You know, whatever does it for you, it does it for you. You know? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that too is, I can look down and go like, nobody gave a shit. That's my bullshit teenage insecurity stuff. Like, right. You know, like, like, oh, I better make sure I got my quicksand shirt on. I got to, you know, like, they don't fucking care, man. What? Do you... <laughs> yeah, no one cares. Uh, the, uh, the, so, you, you know, you guys go from instruction to God fires man. And that's right. a, like, Airtype 11, instruction, and God fires man all have a musical through line, but they're all their own unique entity. For sure. So, the the move from instruction to God fires man what do, what do you feel is the the sh- difference the shift in difference there um i think we had some with instruction we definitely had some it wasn't fun being an instruction uh on a okay. on a band on a band level yeah you know um there were just some personality uh differences and clashes. some other stuff clashes and some other stuff and um, when you're spending, you know, when you're in a band and you're spending more time with these people than you are any other friends or or family members or relationships or anything, yeah. you know, you want to, it's very draining to be in a situation like that and not get along, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think the difference going from instruction to, originally the band was called Fi- Just Fires, mm-hmm. and then the name changed to God Fires, man. Um, but... I think the major difference was that, you know, you went from guys not getting along to guys really getting along great and there being no fighting. And, um, and that to me is my favorite out of all the the bands that we've talked about so far. Fire God fires man is the band I'm most proud of. Oh, wow. And, and, um, and, and like felt in the moment proud, you know, like, yeah. Like I'm proud of what Sasha, you know, I, I loved doing that band and I love what it's become and how it's meant so much to so many people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's amazing. And I'm proud of those songs. But I remember specifically um, with Godfire's Man, like, uh, I guess it just comes with the experience that I've had, you know, leading up to that moment, mm-hmm. whether it be with touring or just being in a learning, knowing how to be in a band and being a better musician at that point. And the fact that Artie and I have had had, you know, two previous bands of experience, like, you know, Artie and I look at each other and without saying a word can like play off each other musically, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so I think at that, you know, when it got to Godfire's Man, it was just like, we were just on such a, you know, a way of writing. Yeah. And then, and then Joe was 
uh, coming in with more stuff and in construction, he was kind of like almost like a hired gun. He was yeah, like, there that's to, what he said, yeah. Yeah. So it was like, he didn't really have too much of a say. He was just like playing his parts mm-hmm. and being there as like a support, yep. a, a friend and musician, you know? Yeah. Um, but when starting a band with him, you know, is way different experience because yeah. now he's, com- he's coming in with ideas. He's putting his mark on songs. And so I just think the combination of like, you know, playing with, um, you know, Steve from game face, who is, yeah. you know, the, who, who is the, you know, he was the drunk last drummer of instruction mm-hmm. and is the current drummer of Era type 11. And yeah. he was the first drummer of Godfire's man before he moved back to uh, California. Yep. But, you know, he's one of the greatest drummers I've ever played with. Uh, just so good. And so, uh, like, like so foundational on every record. Yeah. That guy he's a rock. On, he's like, he yes. is a rock. You can just rely on him. You yes. know that when he writes a part, he is going to play that part the exact same way every time. And yeah. I love that. That's the kind of drummer I love, at, especially when I'm playing bass that I love to play with because it's, there's no second guessing. There's something to be said about people that improvise and want to do something different all the time. Yep. And yep. that yep. has its merit. And I love that too. I love that sure. style of sure. playing too, but for like that type of music, he just, he hits harder than any drummer and uh, so solid, just a metronome. And um, I love that I get to play music with him. Oh man. Like I, I mean, I I mean, you already know I had Jeff on the show. Game face is man, just one of those bands that (laughs) I like, uh, it, it infuriates me like that the, the, everyone in the world should know how great that band is. What, what 100%. A, yeah. God, They're just, amazing. Yes. Great songwriters. And for you to get to play with him too, like, like you're saying, like what a rock, what a foundational part of a band to have. Like you got that guy behind the kit, you know, that these songs are going to sound fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I just feel like that. So that, Godfire's man time. And especially in the very beginning, we were just, we wrote so much and we recorded everything. Yeah. So I have like this really great, like little document of that time of my life. And, um, I don't know. It's just so much fun. Yeah. What was it weird to see? Because all of these wonderful, these bands, like, and I'm talking, you guys, all of those bands, those are huge parts of my life. Air Type 11, Game Face, Texas is the Reason, Handsome, Sensefield, Sam I Am. Like these, these are pinnacle points of my life. And it leads to this entire generation of like this warp tour. What what you see is like this warp tour hot topic emo thing. I don't know. Like they they were just the next generation of bands. I like I don't yeah, begrudge sure. them. It wasn't f- a lot of it wasn't for me, but it was the next generation and that's how this thing goes. But it has to be surreal to be a band and go, "Oh wow, like this begets all of these kids doing do, doing this massive thing." Like I, is it a trip to kind of see like you're, you're uh, part of bands that pave the road. Yeah. And, and that's great. Um, I don't think it's a trip. I just think it's just the next thing that happened, you know, and like, uh, there's some super, you know, talented musicians that came from that scene and came and came out of like coming to see us play, you know, and then they're starting their own bands. And I I love that. I don't, um, I just think it's just the evolution of things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's the same way now. Like I see a lot of people that, (laughs) 
of you know of a certain age that bitch about current hip hop. Like these are this is the next gen. You can't or or filmmakers. You know, like that's just how this art's being made now. And it's like it's appealing to this generation, and right. I, and no one says that you have to like it. It's just right. it's what's happening now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I agree with everything Martin Scorsese has said about the current status of film. I'm also not mad at these filmmakers that are getting their movies made and sold. You, you know, yeah. it's artists getting there's, their art. There's good in there's good in all of it. You know. Yes, yes. Uh, so where where does life sort of like where do you where does real life start to like intercede here because you have a family you have a career like where does that start to those roads are going to merge and then one's going to cut the other one off at a certain point right yeah so in it it's it's the irony of godfire's man being my favorite band you know and then me that's the band i leave yeah you know yeah um it was because i just had that moment um i was 29 and i just you know godfire's man was starting to we started getting, uh, starting going down like the major label road again. Yeah. And we, we got like, uh, Atlantic, we got a demo deal with Atlantic records and they want, you know, they paid for us to go in the studio and do some demos for them. And I think there was another label that was interested. And I just, I think I just had a moment of like, it was like 10 years of being in bands and touring. And I was just like, and I was dating my now wife at the time. And I just didn't, want to I just felt like I was about to turn 30 and I didn't want to go sleeping on floors and in the back of a 15 passenger van anymore (laughs) and 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 also like I really I didn't go to college I had no other skills besides playing music and bartending yep and so I was just like I had this kind of freak out moment right before I turned 30 and um my wife has been doing hair since she was 20 years old and um, I always enjoyed watching her do it. And so I just thought like when I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, I was like, I was interested in either becoming a massage therapist or becoming okay. a, hairdre- a hairdresser. Yeah. And then um, I just, in the end decided to go with hair. And, yeah. um, and so I signed up to the Aveda Institute in, in Manhattan in Soho and um and that was it. I just kind of like, I just very much almost like a Stacia era type 11 thing where it's like, I probably could have kept playing in the band, but in my head, it's like, I'm going to commit to this. Yeah. You know, I'm ready for this right now. And you, and, and clearly it's something that you, you've enjoyed. I mean, you've made your career of it and yeah, I have for sure. And my, my body, my body's kind of hating me at this point (laughs) because anyone that's a hairdresser knows that, you know, doing it for over 10 years and standing behind the chair, you know, it kind of wreaks havoc on your body. But, um, yeah, yeah, I do. I I love, I love coming to work. I've loved coming to work every day. Um, I get to dress how I want. I get to listen to the music I want all day. Yep. Um, I, I work with amazing people. I get to meet new people every day, you know, and just like, you're just like talking shit and getting paid for it, you know, <laughs> it, it, which is the best fucking gig in the world, man. <laughs> it's like, great. It's yeah. great. Uh, what, uh, so what took you guys now you're on the West coast now. Yeah. 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 So we've been, uh, we, we've been here what, eight years now. Okay. All right. What was, what was the move? What, what made you guys decide to, to do that? Well, we were living in Brooklyn and when our second, when our daughter came along, which is our second uh, and last child, <laughs> um, we were, uh, I just think we were just like, 
our two bedroom apartment really started closing in on us. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm born and raised in New York and I lived there for 37 years, you know, obviously touring all over and stuff and seeing different places, but that was always home for me. Sure. Besides, besides like the three months I lived in LA when instruction was recording our album, um, New York has always been home to me. And my wife is from Northern California. And I think she was ready to get back to the West coast. And also we wanted to be able to buy a house someday. And Mm -hmm. we wanted, I was over winter. I mean, just so many reasons, you know, and then (laughs) she had gotten a job. She got a job offer for a job in San Diego. Uh And we just thought like, you know, like, let's give it a shot. Like our kids aren't in school yet. You know, if, yeah. there, if there's ever a time to move now would be the time. Cause when we moved our, our son was three and a half years old and our daughter was six months old. Sure. Yeah. So that's, we just, that's the best time to, to do it. Yeah. So we did, we just, we, we packed our suitcases through all of our stuff on a, you know, a moving truck that, you know, took our stuff across the country. Yeah. Got on a plane, had no place to live had no car, didn't know anyone really had one. I, I knew two people in San Diego, but one lived in like North County. So, and we weren't going to be living up there. And then my other friend, um, pretty much moved up to LA not too long after we moved there. Okay. So okay. really didn't know anyone, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it was like, honestly, that move was the craziest thing I've ever done in my life. That's a huge like, like that, that alters the course of every aspect of your life. You've moved yeah. literally on the other side of the country and I, with a family and no, and no, and no support, like no right. family, nothing. And, you know, it's just like, I'll never forget this one moment of like the first week we were in San Diego, we had a, we were put up in a hotel by my wife's job mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, like first order of business was like, get a car. Right. So we had like a rental car. We had a rental car for the first 24 hours and we went and got ourselves a car, returned the rental car. It's like, okay, now look for a place to live. And I'm on the Craigslist at like three o'clock in the morning in the hotel room, like looking for rentals, you know, a place to live. And we're like going around, like looking at these homes. And there's one moment where we're in the car and both kids are like screaming their heads off and crying. And like, you know, they're just like, they needed naps or whatever it was. Yep. And my wife and I look at each other and we just start laughing and like, what have we done? Like, what, <laughs> what did we do? We did, we just make like the worst decision of our lives, you know? Yep. Yep. I, but now I, it's like eight years later and like, I love it here now. And, yeah. uh, you know, New York will always be, I think the greatest city in the world. And I love going like all my family's there. My, yeah. my super close friends are there, but, um, I can't imagine ever living there again. Oh, really? Yeah. Is No, it's like, too hard, man. It's just yeah. like, it's too stressful. It's too hard. And the fact that I have a backyard and like the, you know, great weather all year long, it's yeah. just like, I, I can't imagine giving that up to go back to New York. Like, unless yes. I won like some insane amount of money and I can like live like, you know, the way I'd want to live in like, New York. Yeah. It's a no go. No. It's no. A no. I, and after you have that shit, why would you ever want to give it up? You know, yeah. I, totally get it like my wife and i uh, like when we bought the house that we're in now uh the it's been like six or seven years ago we it was one of those things where like you don't think about that shit until you do it and then you start doing things in your home and you're like no this is my thing and i really care about this yeah i want these things to look good and i like the the pride Mm -hmm. of putting that work in 
things that you don't think about until you start doing it. And then you're like, Oh, Oh, this is the, this is the maturing aspect of being an adult where you, you take pride in that shit. And you, these are things you care about and you don't want to give them up. I wouldn't want to give up my yard either. When in New York, I mean, I grew, I grew up in apartments my whole life. You know what I mean? Like growing up in Queens and then eventually moving to Brooklyn. Like I grew up in apartments. I never really had outdoor space to enjoy um, besides obviously just going out and enjoying the city, but, um, like to have a backyard, like we, it's just the most amazing thing in the world to be able to like, let your dog out, to be able to, you know, like when the kids are like, especially during COVID this past year, like having yeah. a backyard was a total lifesaver. Huge. Yes. How have, how have you guys speaking of, I mean, how's that been? How did you guys navigate that? I mean, you're in an industry uh, that was profoundly affected by yeah. this whole thing. Um, it was, I mean, I'm not going to lie, man, this past year has been pretty awful, but, um, I've just tried to stay positive. Um, you know, through it all, we, the business was shut down three times. God. Um, so we, I mean, and like kind of adding up to pretty much half the year. Wow. Um, so that really was terrible, but you yeah. know, we, we pulled through, like we, you know, we just, we opened whenever we could open and, right. you know, just tried to retain clients. And, um, yeah, so that was not fun being off of work that long, but then there was some, you know, there was some positives to it too, because we got to last summer, we took a trip. Um, we went camping for three weeks and got to go to Yosemite and cool. yeah. And just, you know, like, how, you know, how often in real life, you know, pre COVID life, would you get to take like, you know, this amazing camping trip with your family and, right, um, right. yeah. And, and for three weeks, you know, and like for three weeks, some, yeah. not something you could have done in most instances in life. Right. So, yeah. Um, I think, I think families learned a lot about themselves and how they operate. Like we definitely did. Like it was, my wife's been still like, she was laid off. Uh, she worked at a, a university and was laid off and it's been almost a year of, but you know, it, it's, we learn how to survive. She, she got her, she got her yoga instructors, your certification, something she's been oh, doing awesome. for years and years and years. And it was like, we're going to make chicken salad out of chicken shit because that's all we can do. I mean, I was fortunate enough to only be laid off for a few months and then was back to work, but People, you know, in addition to, you know, it goes without saying people lost lives. The, the, the anguish and the struggle of people's livelihood is a terrifying thing. And you were, you and your wife both being in that industry that was really affected. Any sort of health crisis is going to affect what you guys do. And that has, that's a scary thing to think about. Like, and it, you seeing it head on like this had to have been such a, such an overwhelming thing to do. It was. Yeah. And then, it, and the year, and then it all started to, I actually lost my dad in April to COVID oh, um, in the very, in the very beginning of the year. I mean, unfortunately he was in like a, an assisted living facility on Long Island and those places just got in the very beginning, just got hit so hard so bad when no one, like everyone was scrambling, like no one knew, you know, no one knew what was really going on. So right, um, right. that, you know, that, that's how it all kind of kicked off. And then it was just kind of like, you know, it just kept going and going. But like I said, there were, you know, moments of, uh, you know, shining moments through it all. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I just, I just kept trying to, 
you know, have that PMA and, uh, yeah, man. (laughs) I mean, because I just said to myself, what else am I going to do? You know, it's like, this is it. Um, I could sit here and be in the fetal position in a corner crying every day, or I can just try to, you know, look at all the positive in my life and, 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 and work off of that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that, that is honestly like you, you, It's a, I don't want to say it's, it's a, uh, it's one of those things where you you were forced to, but like desperate times call for desperate measures and, and you chose, you know, you chose the, the, the better path, you know, in terms of trying to remain positive, trying to remain, remain empathetic and doing things. A lot of people, it's a struggle to do. Uh, so I, one thing I want to make sure that we do cover before we wrap this up is you've got a new, uh, new thing you're working on. I do. Yeah. And, uh, give, give us the breakdown of that. Cause it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. Um, well, music came back around again in my life <laughs> to, uh, to, to save me. It always uh, does, man. You can never does. get away. I, mean, <laughs> I will say this whole time. I mean, the past 10 years of doing hair, it's not like I've just never picked up an instrument. You know, I've, yeah. I've always, I've played music the whole time Yeah, and, uh, you know, fortunate enough to get Aerotype back together during that time. Um, and, you know, we're still a band and we put out new music just, uh, I don't even know how long ago it is now, a year ago, a year and a half that, ago, whatever. That is a really, really good record, by the way. Oh, thank you. And then even, I mean, th- even uh, past that, we did a song, yes. or, or two songs. One of them was released, one wasn't, but got to just make a, a brand new song without even being in a room together, which awesome. was a new experience and then totally fun. So. Yeah, that was great. But I've been personally working on writing music for like the past five years now. Yeah. And uh, kind of going through different people working on these songs with where I'm playing guitar again. And um, and now finally, like it's uh, the missing piece was vocals. Okay. And now um, you mentioned six going on seven before. And Josh has been a a good friend of mine since the late nineties, since we were on the same label and touring together and everything. And he, um, I sent the stuff to him and he was into it. And so now he's, we're working, we're playing music together for the first time. That's so cool. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's been really awesome. And, uh, just to reconnect with him on a, uh, not every once in a while or like a quick Instagram thing on a, like we, every week we're talking constantly. That's cool. Um, you know, it's funny. My wife's like, Oh, you're on the phone with your girlfriend again, you know, because <laughs> she's, because we're like two, like, we're like two schoolgirls, just like, you know, we're so excited about, you know, create like creating music together and everything. Yeah. And we, have like, we have like a weekly FaceTime where we're, I'm in my garage with my guitar and, you know, we're just kind of going back and forth with ideas and yeah. sending garage band demos and stuff. So that's been awesome. And, but before Josh even came into the picture, I've been, um, my friend Kyle who played in an awesome band called big collapse, um, mm-hmm. back in the day, um, now play, he's been playing drums and helmet for the past 10 years. Oh, he, okay. Yeah. I, th- so that, he, that piece is together now. He, the, Playing in helmet, okay, yeah. Yeah, so now we, so he's been playing drum. He's been playing drums with me for like five years now. Like he's been writing, you know, drum parts for on my stuff. Um, so we've been collaborating. So yeah, it's just like him, and then um, there's an amazing band called The Life and Times, uh, kind of based out of Chicago, and yeah, um, they're very, very and my and and yeah, and my <laughs> and my buddy Eric, who plays bass in that band, is playing bass on this stuff, 
Nice. And then, and then one of my best friends, Matt Kane, who also played in Big Collapse, and he also played in a band, a really cool band, if you never heard, called Versus Antelope, which was a band with him and Chris Daly from Texas is the Reason. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't think like and, I'm, I'm, but I'm a bit of a Texas slut, and I. That's not one that's crossed my path. Like, Dude, check them out. They are that they put out one record and it's amazing. And it's what the is, singer. It's called versus called? versus antelope. Versus. So it's V S antelope. V S antelope. All right. Sorry. I'm going to write that down real quick. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're amazing. So, so that was, ahead. that was Chris playing drums, um, Matt playing guitar and he's playing in my current project and, yeah. um, and Spanky, play uh spanky and jim from j majesty singing and playing bass no shit yeah how if i miss this okay cool (laughs) you're gonna you're gonna be stoked when you find it because it is such a good record oh dude now see now i have like now you gave me like now i got a record to seek out and listen to (laughs) that's great yeah yeah it's Um, awesome so this stuff that you guys are working on where like does it kind of follow your trajectory or is it you going a different route musically or yeah it's it's very different it's kind of all over the place it's i never sat down when i was writing this music to say i'm gonna write like this type of music or this band sound Mm -hmm. like this Mm -hmm. um i think there's kind of a through line with the with the stuff but um i feel like it's all over the place. Like there's a song that has like a shudder to think feel to it. And there's a song that has like smashing pumpkins feel to it. And there's, you know, it's kind of all over the place, but yeah, I think Josh, I think Josh's vocals are what really kind of, it's mm. going to tie it all together. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he has such a, like a really nice distinct voice too, man. He like, does. And he writes amazing lyrics too. I've yes. never been a, I've never been a guy that's cared about lyrics, but he writes such great lyrics and um, uh, super that- cool. And his phrasing and everything is just yes. so awesome. Like the song Portsmouth uh, by Six Going yeah. On Seven. Those lyrics still to this day, the way he's placed his phrasing, the way, because that's my, like writing is like lyrics was what I always did. I was, I've always been the vocalist of bands. Lyrics, that sort of shit. Like I zero in on that. And I love that is, that is a song I constantly go back. And I, I love the lyrics to that song because he's telling a really simple story. But the way he's choosing to lay it out, oh, I love, I love yeah. that man. Yeah, that's awesome Dude, he, to hear. Like, um, you know, these songs I've been working on, and that, like, when he came in and started putting vocals and lyrics yeah. to it, it just like, it was just like breathe new life into it and into these songs, and just like I couldn't believe what he came up with yes. to match what I did, you know. <laughs> and it was like it, it was so awesome, and uh, I just, I'm so excited to finally get this stuff out when it comes out. That's we're exciting. just doing, we're, we're going to be recording two songs next week. Um, okay. So hopefully in the next few months, it'll, it'll be done and out there. And that I'd assume you're, you're, you're I mean, I, it, your intent is to get it out there to the, you know, on bank camp and, and yeah, stuff like that. it'll, yeah. it'll eventually be on all streaming platforms, but I really, we really want to do a seven inch. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to, once it's done, we're going to see if anyone's interested interested in releasing it and uh if not at first we're just gonna self-release it and Mm -hmm. press it ourselves and get it out there i i think it goes without saying that you guys are probably gonna get some label interest just i mean we'll see obviously it's cool um you know i think it's good i'm really proud of it um (laughs) i want people to hear it but you know 
maybe I'm by myself on that, you know, (laughs) maybe no one will, but that's the great thing in the, in 2021, it's like, you don't need anyone else, right? Like you can just do it all yourself and put it out there. And if people like it, they like it. I just want to put it out there. I just want to get it out in the world because, um, it's been sitting with me for a long time and I'm ready to release it and, and move on. Like we have, I have, I have like an album's worth of stuff ready to, pretty much ready to go. That's exciting. That's, I mean, you guys can go from a seven inch into we, we can keep going. We could, except the only problem is that we're all in different States. Yeah. (laughs) Kyle and I are both in California. He's in LA. So it's, it's not too bad for me to drive two hours and us to play together. But you know, Josh is in Portland and Matt's in Boston and Eric's in St. Louis. So it just, (laughs) it makes it very, it makes it very difficult to, uh, you know, it's not like getting in a room and where you'd be able to hash stuff out quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a process to what we're doing and, there's just there's a longer. lot there's a lot of that going on. I I just heard about uh, Aaron Stoffer that was the singer of Seaweed has a, a a band with the guys like some of the guys from like Mile Marker and Snapcase. What? And yeah, they're called. I'll, once we once we finish up here, I'll find it and I'll. The, Do they actually have music out? They got a record out, dude, and it's really fucking good. Oh my god, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I, once we're done here, I'll find him and show you. Um, but it's it's a trip that bands have like these bands piece together still like we all find our way back into bands with you know with with people and for, especially for you guys i mean you're literally all in completely different places <laughs> we are but um for me it was really important to play with friends yeah and yeah. to and to and to play with people that i really love their playing and respect yeah. their their music and you know so I tried the whole Craigslist thing here in San Diego for a while and I met some really nice people, Sure, but I mean, a, a real music connection is, it, it's a real thing, you know, like you can't, you, you can't, there's just no, there's no replacing it. There's no, no, there's no, there's no way of like, when you connect, you connect and there's no, you can't fabricate that connection basically. For sure. Um, Adam, this was awesome. This was as great as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Thank you for asking me to be on. Of, of course. Um, what do you, if you're, if you want people to find you, like where can people find you online? How can they, how can they stay up to date on the new project and anything you're doing? So the new project is called Attempt Survivors. And there's like, you know, I have everything pretty much set up, but, but because there's really no content, it hasn't like, launched yet but you can still find the, the instagram there's just you're not going to see anything right now yep. you know uh but uh it's a temp survivors band on instagram and then pretty much through that once everything gets going you'll be able to find music and everything else yep. and then um if you're in san diego and you want to come get a haircut um, <laughs> i'm part owner of a barbershop called Goldcomb, okay and we are in the north park area of san diego um yeah. So, and it's Goldcomb Barbers on Instagram. Okay. Cool. Uh, so we'll put that stuff in the bio for the show. Uh, but in the meantime, Adam, thank you for your time. Thank you for the uh, getting up early and for early for you and and uh, <laughs> the kids, man. Of, this isn't early. Yeah, that's true. That's one. That's the upside when I talk to some people, especially that if they have pa- if their parents, they're like, "Oh, dude, I'm up. Don't you worry about that." Yeah. Uh, but man, this was awesome. I really appreciate your time and, uh, 
And in the meantime, we'll talk to everybody next week. Later. Later.